Well, they say that love changes you. And I have certainly found that to be true. Uh, for me, it was almost 38 years ago, and I remember rushing down the hall every day for my second period class. For some reason, my second period class was all the way at the corner of the school, so I literally had to run to get there on time. And actually, I actually ran because I wanted to get there early. It wasn't even on time. I wanted to get there early because there was a cute boy with brown hair and sparkling blue eyes that I wanted to sit directly across the room from so we could laugh and giggle at each other when we'd catch each other's eye. Yeah, it was worth the run, ladies. It was definitely worth the run. But pretty soon that became uh, taking our corded phone. Praise the Lord, we did not have the kind of corded phone that stuck to the wall. Because I used to take the corded phone with the very long cord all the way down the hall, underneath my bedroom door, and into bed with me so I could talk to him on the phone. And I got caught doing that a few times at one o'clock in the morning. Shh. Right? And then I found myself parking on the other side of campus every morning in high school. I'd drive my little Datsun B210 and try to find the spot right behind his VW Bug just so we would have five minutes to walk to his first period class together in jazz band. I would walk to jazz band with him and uh, we would talk for the five minutes we had because those were the days with no cell phones, texting. I mean, in person is all you got. You didn't get it in person, you didn't get it, which there is some beauty to that actually. So anyway, you actually got to see them. That was pretty nice. So. Now, that was 38 years ago almost, but I've had this phenomenon happen right in front of my eyes. One, two, three times as I've watched my children experience the same things. All of a sudden, they're taking more showers than they ever used to take. <laughs> and they smell good, and they look good, and their hair's done perfectly, right? They don't mind getting to church early or staying late anymore. I find them up late at night planning the perfect date or uh, baking the perfect cookies. I see that, that little computer that they carry around in their hand and every emotion, every sigh, every thought is being sent out into cyberspace because they're in love, right? But the telltale sign for me is when they started washing and vacuuming their cars. That was when I knew it was, they were a done deal. And just to give you perspective, Stephanie's almost a year older than I was when I was running down the hall to second period political science. It's a long time ago, a lifetime. But the thing is, when you love someone, it changes you. It changes what you say. It changes how you act. It changes how you think. It changes who you are. And it's really no different with God. When we love God, when we come to know Him and love Him, we're changed, and we're changed forever. And just like when we love people, now we act different, and we think different, and we talk different, and we are different at the foundation of our lives. And the core of who we are, we're different. And today we're gonna talk about that life-changing gospel and how we are so different because we love God. And we're gonna look at a group of people who had just really had this experience, the Thessalonians. And we're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians 1. So if you haven't opened there yet, please do so. We're gonna look at this group of people that is basically reeling from this life-altering decision they've made to follow Christ. They love God, and it's marvelous, and it's all-consuming. 
And it's even a bit contagious and rubs off on everyone around them because they're so different. Loving Christ changes us. We're gonna look at that change today and we're gonna see how that change that those people had affects us and the change that we should have too. Now, as you remember, Paul had met up with Silas for his second trip to take the gospel or the good news that Jesus saves out to a group of people who had never heard before. This is his second time doing that, and Silas is paired with him, and Silas already has a good reputation for being a faithful leader and preacher in the church. In fact, in the book of Acts, we find out that Silas had actually been entrusted with a very important letter a very important letter that was sent out to Gentile Christians. You see, there was a dispute. Gentiles and Jews were now side by side. They had been separate forever, right? And now all of a sudden they're side by side in the church and they didn't know how to act. So they had something called the Jerusalem Council. And Silas was the one who was entrusted to take that letter out to the Gentile Christians. He was a trusted man. But he was taken on this second trip with Paul. And one of the first places they went was a place called Derby and Lystra, where they recruited, basically, a young convert named Timothy. Now, Timothy had had the privilege of being discipled in his home by his godly mother and grandmother, and then he joins in their ministry effort and goes along the trip with them. They end up in Macedonia, which is hundreds of miles away from where they started, and they end up in a city called Philippi, where Silas, one of these three that writes this letter, and Paul, are both stripped down, beaten up, put in jail, and then eventually run out of town. And we found out last week that a few days later, they stumble into Thessalonica, bleeding and bruised. Now, Thessalonica is one of the most important cities in the ancient world. In fact, it was one of the capital cities in the ancient world, and there was 200,000 people that lived in Thessalonica at this time. 200,000 people, that's like rough and dirty. Mission Viejo, Aliso Viejo, and Laguna Hills all put together. That's a lot of people for an ancient city. This was an important Gentile city. These three men eventually were run out of Thessalonica too, and they went on to Berea. But the book of Acts tells us that Paul went on to Athens. And he had that famous Areopagus showdown with those smart guys about the unknown God. Remember that story? He's in Athens by himself. Silas and Timothy stay in Berea for a little while, and then Timothy gets to go back to Thessalonica. You see, if you remember how they left Thessalonica, there was a mob. They rioted. They ripped the guy out of his house named Jason who had been, you know, having Paul in his guest room, and they threatened him. So Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave really quick, okay? Now, these guys are really concerned, though. They're their mentors and leaders, and all of a sudden, they've been ripped away from this young church. They want to know how they're doing. How are you guys doing? I mean, you're young believers. You, you don't have anybody. How are you doing? So they sent Timothy back to see how it was going. I mean, he could go in and be much more incognito than sending the Apostle Paul in there to see how they were doing. Well, eventually, the three guys, the three missionaries, end up in Corinth together, and Timothy reports how it went. Okay? How did it go in Thessalonica? How are the believers doing? And they, he says, great. And they're so excited. They're doing so great. But they have some questions for you. And that's when they decide to sit down and write this letter. These three men decide to write this letter to this church to encourage them that they're doing great and to instruct them. Now, with the news of a letter being written to this little tiny group of young Christians, when that news went out, surely it was like super exciting. The Apostle Paul wrote us a letter. <gasps> Where is it? When are we going to read it, right? Now, you remember what it was like before cell phones were quite so, you know, prolific and there were so many uh, 
ways to communicate. You remember those days when you used to get letters in the mail? And it wasn't just flyers or advertisements or bills, you actually got envelopes. Some of you are too young to remember that, but you actually got envelopes and when you'd run to the mailbox and you'd go, oh, there's an envelope, there's a card. And you could see the person's familiar handwriting. And it made you all excited, you know, and especially if it was someone you love, it was Twitter-pated, your little heart. And you ran to go where you could open it up and see what they said to you, right? Well, that's how these people are feeling. They're getting a personal note from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So they rushed together, surely, and then someone in their midst, whoever that was the, you know, leader, stood up, cracked open the seal, and read these words for the very first time. Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. How thrilling it must have been. The apostle Paul wrote them a note. He sends the standard greeting, grace and peace, or may God's goodwill and favor be on you. Then he goes on and he writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Imagine hearing that about you. We thank God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. How excited the Thessalonians must have been. They're brand new Christians. And the apostle Paul is saying, we thank God for you. I mean, like me, who are you talking to, right? Very exciting. Then verse three, he says, we are remembering before God, our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these apostles they, and missionaries have noticed. They've noticed what the Thessalonians have been doing. They see evidence of their Christianity. They're excited. They're getting specific. You're doing the right thing is what they're saying. How exciting to hear that from someone you love and respect. And then in verse 4, they continued on, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. These men reminded them that God had chosen them and that they knew they were Christians. It had been affirmed to these men. They knew these people were real followers of Christ and that God had chosen them and God was working in their lives. It was very exciting to get this note. Well, after the greeting, Paul starts in on the main body of the letter. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these great and godly men were grateful for this small group of young Christians. And it's exactly what God wants us to be for the women in this room. Thankful, grateful, appreciative for the gift of each other. I want you to look around you right now. I want you to look to your right and your left. Look down the rows, look in front of you, look behind you. See these women? I promise I won't make you do something embarrassing. <laughs> like uh, when I was told by a woman speaker that we were all supposed to stand up, grab someone's hand next to us, look each other in the eye, and sing, I love you with the love of the Lord to them. <laughs> Awkward, right? <laughs> Operation crowd reduction. I will tell you that after that retreat, we never went back to that retreat center again. We never did a retreat with those people again. That was the year we decided we're doing our own. So 
thank you very much. We're doing our own retreat from now on. So we don't, uh, we won't want you to do anything like that, but I do want you to take a second to ponder the gift that you have in each other. The gift that there is, the treasure trove of blessing you have because of the people that are sitting next to you and around you and that fill this room up. It's an amazing gift. We are much richer than we think. We are surrounded by like-minded women that we can't even fathom how important that is until we don't have it. Ask people who've had to move away. Ask people whose husbands have been transferred. Ask college students. We're blessed. And we need to remember it. We need to remember how blessed we are to be surrounded by people who are committed to the Bible being central. Do you know how rare that is? Women who are committed to verse-by-verse -verse teaching of the Bible and are here with us to learn beside us. We are rubbing shoulders with women who are committed to a biblical gospel that includes that life-changing element that we're gonna talk about today. That is important. And it makes the relationship you have with each other special because they're like you and they believe the word like you do. We rub shoulders with people who understand that God is above us all and that all of us should be lifting him up and having a high view of him and, and that everything about our life should be in obedience to him. We row alongside people who are highly committed participants who actually take ministry posts and work in the church. I've been to places I've seen. I've asked women, what do you do in the church? I, I go to church. You're surrounded by women who work in this place, who value this place. You're also surrounded by women who actually rely on God in prayer. And they pray and they pray and they keep praying. No matter how dark the world gets, they're gonna keep praying and trusting God. And add to that, you have the amazing blessing to be surrounded by leaders. Leaders who are at a pat. Leaders who are ready to, you know, let's face it, it's scary to be at the front of the pack that are ready to climb up a hill and say, come with me to a new zip code. Come with me to a place we've never been before. Let's reach more people for Jesus Christ. That's the blessing of the people that you are surrounded by every single week. Now, if you've grown up here, or you became a Christian here, or you just been here, you're, you know, you've been here since it started, you're as old as dirt, they say, right? No, I'm just kidding. We've only been here 14 years so far, so it's not that old. But, you know, if you've been here a long time, you don't understand how different this place is. Those of you who've been here a couple years or less, you may not be nodding on the outside, but you're nodding on the inside. This place is rare. I didn't say it's perfect. I didn't say we're the only ones with the truth. I didn't say we meet everyone's needs perfectly all the time, because all of those would be a lie, right? But I do wanna tell you this place is unique. I can say that with full confidence, you're blessed. And we need to be continually thanking God for that. So that's gonna be point number one. We need to thank God for changed lives. Thank God for changed lives. And what I mean by that is the changed lives of the women around you. You are surrounded by people with changed lives just like yours. You're surrounded by people who have been transformed, who love God and are different. And we all need to be thanking God that we're surrounded by women like 
that. You should be thanking God regularly for the changed lives that we get to be surrounded by. You know, the Apostle Paul never had the luxury of sticking around. Just think about it, his life. He blew into town, he'd share the gospel, he'd get people all excited about God, which was all super great and exciting and I'm sure super fulfilling. He'd teach him for a little while and then he'd leave. You, right now, at least in this moment in time, have the blessing of hanging out here and being with these women all the time, probably as much as you want to be. I just wanna tell you, you should want to be with these people. I meet sisters all over this country that would kill to have the, the opportunity that you have. Not just in numbers, but the hearts, the changed lives that are represented in this room and the way that you guys love the Lord. And even if God was to call you to go with our next church plant, which I'm praying that he will, and that sounds like an insult, but it's not, it's privilege. I'm praying that he will lead you to go. You'll still be going with a team of highly committed participants. You'll be going with an Adipat leader. Yes, it's not AV, but don't let that stop you. God is faithful and he'll take you even with that small group of people, like the Thessalonians, by the way, that small group of Christians, and he'll give you what you need and it'll be a blessing to be with those people that love the Lord like you do. Well, Paul, Silas, and Timothy say an interesting thing here. They say, we thank God for all of you. I think it's interesting that they word, use the word all, <laughs> because not every pastor could say that about his congregation, quite frankly. Not every member of every congregation is so praiseworthy and uh, such a blessing uh, to have in the congregation. Now, apparently, the Thessalonians, he was thankful for all of them. There doesn't seem to be a cranky or critical person in the mix. Wow, that would really be a gift, wouldn't it? Now, I know that's not really the application of this passage, but I think it's a subtle way of reminding us that we wanna try to be a blessing to the people around us, right? We, we wanna exert some effort in not just living life with them, but you know, actually be someone they could sincerely say that they're thankful for. Which got me to thinking maybe we should ask ourselves a few questions. In the privacy of our own hearts, you don't have to write these down anywhere, but am I someone who brings a smile to my leader's face? Or does my name strike dread in their heart? They see that email, all of a sudden they're like, do I click it now or should I wait till I have a good dinner, right? <laughs> okay, am I a source of joy for my pastor or do I add more weight to his already very heavy backpack? Am I spurring this person on with my words or am I always the one who has to give my two cents of why this could be better? I think if we all looked at our hearts, we would rather be the joy, you know, pleasing, happy, spurring on person that they think well of. So I know it's not the application, but it's something to think about. Could people say of us that they are thankful for us? And before you say, oh, but Paul said that to everybody. I've read his letters. It says, thank you for this and thank you for that. Every church he writes. No, he doesn't. There's one glaring error, or excuse me, absence, not error, 
One glaring absence, the Galatians. Paul does not say he thanks God for the Galatians. Frankly, I don't wanna be counted with the Galatians, do you? Not in that respect, at least. I wanna be on the big list of the people he's thankful for. Something to think about. Well, Paul thanks God for them, but it's more than uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy just thanking God. They're doing it together, and they're sharing their appreciation for this young church publicly at a prayer meeting, which I think is taking it even a step farther. It's not just being thankful or being thankful to God. It's saying it out in the open. I mean, this is in the Bible for thousands of people to read how thankful he is for them. Doing it out in public. That is special. That is motivating. That is inspiring. It's hopefully inspiring you right now that he said this about a group of people out loud. Right? But there's more to the verse. Because it goes on to say that they're constantly mentioning you in their prayers. I'm constantly mentioning you in our prayers, which means something besides thanksgiving is going on. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are also praying for them. Not just thanking God for them, but praying for them. He's asking God to help them, comfort them, strengthen them, be with them, whatever it is that is on their prayer list for them. He wants them to be good. He wants God to be good to them. And he says he's doing it all the time. That's interesting too. Well, to mention here actually means to make a thing out of something. To make a thing out of something. Imagine Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I mean, think of it for your own self. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these very important men, are making a thing out of Thessalonian Christians to God. That's big. So all of this should remind us that we need to be thankful people. A person who goes up to someone and says thank you to their face. <laughs> if you think it, you should stop and you should say it. You should write it. You should text it. You should post it. Tell that person you're thankful for them. But then the next step is to be thankful to God for them and to pray for them, asking God to help them with their protection, their comfort, their obedience. When we do that, it spurs people on to do more and to do better than they were doing before, which is one of the Reasons I think it's so important. If you still have kids in your home, you need to be praying for them out loud in front of them every day. It just doesn't tell them what you expect of them or get God involved. It also motivates them. Think of the last time you were somewhere where someone prayed out loud for you. What did that do to you? Oh, you went, I, I want to be that person, right? And so will they. I want to be that person. It's very motivating. Well, we need to take these men's example seriously and invest maybe just a little bit more time thanking God and praying for people. Can you imagine what Paul, Silas, and Timothy's prayer list must have looked like in all the places they went, knowing all the people that they did, or how much data was on their prayer mate app, if you could look up and see how much data they were using, right? They prayed and prayed and prayed. And they weren't the only ones, of course. Jesus was that way too. Many examples in scripture, but one of them is uh, Luke 5.16. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Which means if he would do it, that implies it was a pattern of his life. It's something he did frequently. It's something he was known for. He would do that. It was Jesus' pattern. It was Paul's pattern. It should be our pattern. We need to start this fall by committing ourselves to pray for 
even the women in this room, a little bit more than we were, thanking God and praying for them. I just have to tell you, it's, a, it's way more important for you to spend a little bit more time praying for these people than it is for you to make that stop at Whole Foods. You know, you, you stop at Whole Foods because you just can't get it at Trader Joe's or your grocery store or go without it. But that 10 to 15 minutes you took to do that, you could have been praying. Prayer is also more important than that beautiful skin regimen you do at night or that amazing makeup routine you do. It's more important than the five minutes you spent on social media that actually became 25 before you realized what was happening. It's more important than Netflix. It's more important than the blog you read. It's a little more time in prayer. Thanking God and praying for the people that surround you. Let's thank God for the changed lives. Well, Paul is thankful for the Thessalonian Christians. We just talked about it for a whole point. But next, he's going to talk about kind of what he's thankful for. And he's actually going to list some things he's thankful for, which is kind of cool because it's the evidence he sees in their life of this change he's been talking about. Starting in verse 3, Paul says, I am remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is thanking God for how their lives are changed specifically because of their commitment to Christ. And that should motivate us to work on those kinds of changes too. If Paul thought it was important for them, it's important for us too, which means we need to, point number two, work on your life change. Work on your life change. Paul's going to encourage them and almost brag on them that they're doing good stuff. So surely we should be doing that good stuff and work on our life change. Paul is thankful for this evidence that he can so clearly see, and he uses three pairs of words here. And if you look at them close, you can see that um, each one of the pairs of words has an action and a motivation. An action and a motivation. I'll show you what I mean by that. Paul says, I see your work of faith. That means their work is prompted by their faith. Okay? He says, I see your labor of love. That means their labor is motivated by their love. I see your steadfastness of hope. Or their steadfastness comes because of the hope that they possess. There's an action and a motivation in each one of them. Let's look at them one at a time. I see your work of faith. In other words, I see your Christianity being played out in good deeds. That's what the word work means. You've heard it in other verses. You know them by their works, right? It has to do with the good deeds that every Christian should be doing, the normal Christian stuff. You see a Christian, you'd expect this to be happening. The word work is actually deeds, accomplishments, tasks. It's what you would expect. Someone says they're a Christian, you'd expect them not to lie, right? Someone says they're a Christian, you'd expect them to be kind. These are good works, okay? Your work is motivated by your faith. Your trust in Christ, your salvation makes you do good works. And frankly, we understand if you don't do good works, you're not really a Christian, right? Lots of places say that, but just one of them, it was in your homework, is James 2, 14 to 18. I'll read it for you. James 2, 14 to 18 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them thanks needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And verse 26, just tacked onto the end, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Because every Christian looks like a Christian, right? Not to earn our forgiveness, but because we are forgiven. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Works naturally follow our faith or we're not saved. We like to go to that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? We're not saved by works. But remember, you've got to make sure it's 2, 8, 9, and 10 because 10 talks about how, yes, you're not saved by works, but works will come after it. Every follower of Christ will follow Christ. That's the work of faith. That's what he's talking about here. Works of faith or the work of faith. The work of your faith. The next one he mentions is labor of love. Now, labor sounds like work, doesn't it? Yes. Except work was tasks and deeds, right? Labor. What do you think of when you hear the word labor? Labor, right? Okay. This word means toil, sweat of your brow, exertion. It's not just good works. Good works, you know, this is exertion. You sweat, right? You labored. It's a good word for what that is. This is specifically, though, the toil that you exert because you love people. Labor of love, the toil you exert because you love people. It isn't just I went to the gym and I sweat. No, this is the toil because you're loving people with that toil. If you love someone, there is no limit to the hardship that you will endure for them. If you love someone, there's no limit to the toil that you will endure or the hardship that you will go through because you love them. Reminds me of a movie. You know how movies are remade over and over and over again? Well, this was Robin Hood when I was growing up. With Kevin, okay, not growing up. I was an adult, but younger, younger than I am today. Kevin Costner was the star. That was when he was a big deal. Now he looks like an old man, even older than me. And in this movie, there was this dramatic scene where uh, Marion has been kidnapped. And he comes and he rescues her. And she's all surprised and she says, oh, you came for me. And he gets down on his knee and he says, I would die for you, right? Because there's no hardship that he wouldn't endure because he loves her. And then the whole Brian Adams, everything I do, I do for you would play in the background, right? Because there's nothing you wouldn't go through for someone that you love. And you moms, you prove it every single day. You prove it every day. I mean, even before you knew them, you were pushing a cantaloupe out of your body for them. And then once they came out, then you stayed up all hours of the day and night just so they could be comforted and fed and soothed and not be crying. You would forego things like sleep, showers, hot food, and adult conversation for years. 
And don't get me started on teething and the terrible twos and, uh, oh, the teenage years, some of you have to look forward to. And you did it again and again and again. And, oh, by the way, you did it over and over with each one. There is no hardship you would not endure for someone you love. The problem is now God wants you to have that kind of love for someone you're not married to, you didn't give birth to, and you're not best friends with. He wants you to be ready to do that kind of hardship for the person who sits right next to you or across the aisle, because I assume the person next to you is probably your friend. Okay, pick someone across the aisle. He wants you to have that kind of love and that willingness to do that kind of hardship and toil and have that sweat for that woman. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says to us that the love of Christ should control us and that he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. That was 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Loving God motivates us to love people like he did, to sacrifice for them like he did. And of course, he gave everything for us, didn't he? Every real Christian on the planet should have this kind of love for others in the body of Christ. Tertullian, one of the early historians, said it this way. He said, Christians love each other almost before they know each other in the early church. The world loves those who love them them back or who give them something in return, right? That's not how Jesus loved. That's not how Paul, Silas, and Timothy loved. I mean, think about it. They went hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, because they loved people. They were ready to give the extra hour, the extra dollar, and go the extra mile, as we say here. I know it's hard to do, ladies, but think about it. If they hadn't done it for you, you wouldn't be sitting here today. What if they had decided church planning is too much work and too much money? And too many of the people I love are gonna get out of here and I don't like that. What if they decided that? You wouldn't be a Christian and neither would I because the gospel would never have made it over here. Praise the Lord for people who are ready to give the extra hour, the extra dollar and go the extra mile. So how can we apply this labor of love when it comes to this Compass 2020 thing you keep hearing about. Compass 2020 is our plan to try to train people to go out to new communities and reach people for Christ and to make this campus better to reach people for Christ. And the people who are gonna be trained should not just be the pastors. They're gonna be people like you. People like you that are ready to go and serve and be a part of the team and set up and tear down and do partners and be small group leaders. They need all of those people to go with them. You realize that. So how are we gonna do this labor of love when it comes to Compass 2020? Okay, how about the extra hour? How could you spend an extra hour that would help CBI and Compass 2020? I would encourage you to pray for an extra hour every week. You're like, an extra hour? How do I get an extra hour? How about a few minutes a day? That's less than 10 minutes a day if you did it every day. Could you pray for people to be trained to go out and serve other communities and reach them for Christ for 10 minutes a day? I hope so. If you can't give 10 minutes a day, then I don't know what's, we need to do a time inventory. Surely you have 10 minutes, away, 10 minutes a day that's tucked away or wasted in your life, okay? And show up at the next prayer meeting. We should not have the prayer meetings at 120 West. We should have them in this room because we cannot fit everybody in here and we have overflow in there. I love those prayer meetings, but 
there should be more people there, frankly. How about the extra dollar? We did this whole thing last year, give money, give money, and everybody did, and we only did it for a couple weeks, for those of you that are getting tense already, we only did it for a couple weeks, okay? But I wanna remind you that people who are ready to labor because of their love are ready to, you know, sweat and toil even for others that you may never meet. So how about we think about what else could we sacrifice? Maybe you gave a gift, but you didn't give a monthly gift. Maybe you could up your monthly gift. Maybe you could stop having, you know, lunch out once a week and you could put that money towards your monthly gift, giving the extra dollar. How about the extra mile? Are you out there promoting CBI? Are you talking about Compass Bible Institute? Are you gonna get trained? Huh? Thrilling, how exciting. I, are you going to encourage those who are? I will, I'm behind you, man, let's do it. Get some training, Woohoo! Are you gonna be ready to go the next time? Are you gonna be ready to take the ministry post of someone who goes and there's now a void here in AV because some amazing person left us? I know it feels like an amputation, it does. It feels that way for me every single time. But we still gotta send them out and we still gotta fill in the void that happens when they go. Giving them the extra mile. It's a very exciting time to be here, but don't just soak up the good feelings. Get involved in what's going on. And then Paul talks about this steadfastness of hope thing. That's his third one. Steadfastness is hupomene. You've heard that word a lot. That's that picture of the you know, donkey in Mexico with all the heavy burdens on him and he's weighed down. But he bears up. He doesn't fall to the ground, he bears up. Except this time, that bearing up isn't about trials and troubles. They're steadfast and tenacious because of their hope. And specifically, their hope in Christ's return. Stephanie mentioned this last week that this theme is gonna come up again and again and again in this book, the theme of them looking forward to Jesus coming back for them. These people are steadfast with whatever this world gives them because they have hope of what's coming ahead. They're trusting in what Christ said. They're, they know that it's real and they know that everything he said he would do, he will do. Now the lost, they have no hope. But we Christians, we of all people should be walking around with hope. One verse that might kickstart that for you is 1 Peter 1, three to five. It says, according to his great mercy, he, that is God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christians should be hoping, expecting, looking ahead, looking forward to, verse four of that passage, an inheritance. We should be looking forward to the inheritance that's coming that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's go, let's take the hill. Let's get charged up. We have hope. God is real, everything he said it's gonna do, and he's coming back for us. These people who live with steadfastness of hope, they have an eternal perspective. They don't walk around, you know, like Eeyore with their head, uh, life is so horrible, I can't stand it. No, they're not hopeless, they're not despairing. These people aren't bogged down by the here and now. They're ready to go, because Christ is coming back. What are we gonna do till he comes? It didn't say their lives were easy. I just said they have that perspective. And they remember things like, People are more important than things, and tasks, and schedules, and even, dare I say it, post-it notes. 
People are more important than that. Investing in people is more important than that. When you have hope, you're looking to invest in people because people are what's gonna last. These people will always remain faithful. They will endure till the end because they know those are the ones who are saved. They will be people that walk by faith. They will be people who are always of good courage, the Bible says, because they're looking ahead to Christ coming back for them. Now, the Thessalonians showed this genuine evidence and fruit of their salvation. They did it in their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. They proved they are Christians because their lives were changed. And we wanna work on our life changed like they did. Which is exactly what keeps me praying for revival. How many weeks has it been since revival? A lot of weeks. I don't even know, I should have counted. But it's been a lot of weeks. I put an alarm on my phone at 8.30 every single morning, two weeks before revival. So I was like, I'm gonna pray every day for revival. I'm gonna pray every day for revival. I'm gonna pray every day for revival. And we had 74 professions of faith. I almost took it off after like a week or two. And then I thought, no, I need to keep praying for those students. I know some of them have decided, this isn't for me. It wasn't a real decision. And I pray for them some, I do, that they would realize they aren't real. And they wouldn't be stuck in this weird like, I'm, I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer at camp, like we hear in the baptismal tank, right? That they don't have that experience someday, that they're ready to go, I'm not in. Okay, I get it. But most of my prayer time, I'm praying for those that are real. I'm praying for those kids at Revival who actually did surrender their life to Christ because their world is even darker than yours. You think yours is dark, theirs is really dark. Imagine what their life will be like in 20 years when people like me and my husband, we're, we're gone from this planet. What will, our children relate, um, what will our children be embracing then? They need us to pray for them. They need us to pray that they have this work of faith, that they grow in their labor of love, that they grow in their steadfastness of hope, that when they stand at their campus, they're ready to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, no matter if they're mocked, or made fun of, or don't get that part, or get that bad grade as my children did because they didn't do the assignment the way they were supposed to, but they chose not to. So I still have that there. And I just wanna remind you that those who were real from those 74 professions of faith, none of us are gonna have to twist their arm to keep them in this. Because as we said at the beginning, love changes you. If they love Christ, they'll be different, period from now on forever. You don't have to make them read their Bible or make them serve at church or make them come to big church because they should want to. Now, obviously, we have great programs for them. We have amazing small group leaders for them and I see some of you out there and we love you and we need you and we need you so that you can buoy them up so that you can be there, Paul, Silas, and Timothy going, "At a girl, you got it, boy. <laughs> I know at a girl, I don't know how to say it from the boy's side, but. Go get them, man. <laughs> but whatever, we need you. We need you. But I'm going to tell you as a parent, to some of you parents out there, you, sh you shouldn't have to make them do it because they should be changed. And it, if it's real, they will be. Yes, that was what the Thessalonians are doing. It's what those kids we want them to do. It's what we should be doing, working on our life change. 
Our passage concludes by reminding us that none of the details of how we got saved and none of the changes in our lives because, uh, was because we were smart enough or soft-hearted enough or godly enough. None of this life change is because of us. We got saved, we got forgiven, we got changed because God intervened and he made it happen. That's what this verse is all about. Verses four and five says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Everything that happened to these young believers in Thessalonica was because God got involved. God sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy to that place. He could have sent them to another town, but he sent them there. Uh, he gave them the right information. They had the gospel. They had it in their head. They were ready to go. They were especially powerful at preaching it because God gifted them to be that way. Not everybody is gifted in that way. And then, besides all of that, God brought conviction where the people's hearts were open. They realized their need for Christ. They turned from their sin. It happened because God did it. It happened because God worked there. And uh, it's exactly what he did for you and me. Someone brought us the news. Someone brought us the right news. Someone was powerful and effective in sharing that news. And then at some point, we got it. Now, I cannot think of any more appropriate response to having all of that news than that we would be praising God and worshiping him and thanking him, which is point number three. You need to thank God for changing your life. Thank God for changing your life. If you sit here and you're a real Christian today, it's because God did that for you. Thank God for changing your life. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that God was the one who decided to place his love on them. And he did it for the Israelites first. Deuteronomy explains it in Deuteronomy 7 like this. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. It was because the Lord loves you. And then Paul says it to New Testament believers in Ephesians 4, 6 to 8. He says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us as adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now we all know how it goes when it's recess and it's time to play kickball. Well, in my day, for some reason, it was bombardier. That's what we called it, bombardier. And it was basically dodgeball against a wall. Sounds really scary to me now, but we would pick teams and we would all line up against the chain link fence, right? We're all waiting. The two captains get up there and then, of course, the superstars, they get picked first. And we all know who they're gonna be, right? The superstars. And then there's the middle of the road kids. But it was good to be a middle of the road kid because there was no shame in that. You know, you never knew who was gonna get picked first, but there's no shame to be in the middle. And then of course, there was the bottom of the barrel kids. The ones where the captain said stuff like, if I have to take him, you have to take her. <laughs> and you know what? <clears throat> I don't care if you are amazing at a million things, I bet that there's been some time in your life, or even if you've lived a charmed life, there's been some point in your life when you wanted something and you didn't get picked for it. 
whether it was a team or a role or maybe that cute boy that you wanted or that party you wanted to go to. And you know what happens, right? Our hearts just sink as we realize, I'm not getting it. And our humiliation and our embarrassment is on the rise in that moment. Even if you feel like that's been the story of your life, I want to assure you that has never been that way with God. He picked you first, he picked you enthusiastically, and he picked you completely. Ephesians 1.4, we just read it, said he chose you from the creation of the world. You got picked in the first round, ladies. You were not sitting up against the chain link fence. He chose you a long time ago. You're not left behind. You're not the bottom of the barrel. 1 Peter 2.9 says we are the apple, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.9 says we are a people for his own possession. Deuteronomy 32.10 says we are the apple of his eye. That means we're precious to him. And we got chosen in the first round of the draft because he chose us early. He chose us enthusiastically and he chose us completely. Just like he chose the Thessalonians. They got it right at that moment under the right circumstances. They had the right information and they had the right response. And we get that because um, we all had that happen to us in different ways and in different times. Some of us got it right away. And what I mean by it is the gospel, the understanding of where you stand with Christ. Some of you only had to hear it once and it clicked for you. That's rare. Most of you had to hear it many times. And some of you stubborn ones had to hear it many, 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 many times. But you know that at that moment, you understood it. You understood where you were. And it was like the you know, little tumblers on a lock just clicked into place and you were like, I need God, I need this. And you realized you had no hope and that all you could do was throw yourself on the mercy of God. And you were compelled and there was nothing anybody could say to you to stop it. If you're a real Christian, you had that moment because God gave you that moment. It was a gift. God clicked everything into place. John 6, says it this way, no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. That was John 6, God made you cross the line, which is why the day one of our sons came to us and said, and by the way, he knew the gospel backwards and forwards. He'd been to every Awana. He got his Timothy Award, right? Done the whole thing. He'd even helped other people become Christians. But in a moment of vulnerability and honesty, he came to us and he said, I'm not a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I know how to be a Christian. So how do I be a Christian? And he didn't mean, what, what do I say? He meant, how do I get there? And it might surprise you to know that we did not sit down and pray a prayer with him. We said, you need to go upstairs to your room. You need to go be there with God by yourself. You need to tell him what you're thinking. You need to cry out to God. You need to beg him. You need to plead with him because he's the one that's gonna pull you across the line. He's the one, the only one, who could take you from darkness to light and make this really happen. Could we have made him say the words? Not a doubt in my mind. But is saying the words make it real? Many of you have a testimony that 
you would say, absolutely not. And within a few days of him crying out to God, God did just that. Because God is the one that draws people across the line. Which means there's nothing left for us to do but praise him, right? Thank God for saving you, praise him for that. But not only does he orchestrate the circumstances to get you to be a Christian, he also keeps you there. And Romans 8 tells us, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one can snatch us from his hand, which should make us praise him even more. But not only does God orchestrate the circumstances and choose us and keep us, but he also gives us everything we need to live that changed life we were just talking about. This was in your homework, but there was a great verse, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28. God is speaking, and he gives us this promise to those who will seek him. He says, I will sprinkle you clean with water. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I will give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. God does it all. He even gives us what we need to move forward in this life change. So what do we do? We thank God for changing us. That's what we do. We thank God for changing us. Now, a few years ago, fans got to watch one of the most amazing and exciting baseball games in history. It was the seventh inning of the seventh game of the World Series in 2016. And uh, the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, were leading six to three at that moment in time. They were hoping to take the title home. They had said that they had been cursed and that they were never gonna win a World Series. And they were hoping against hope that this year was going to be their year. They sent in a relief pitcher and this guy was supposed to be amazingly good. I sound like I know baseball, but I really don't. It's all fake. But uh, they sent in this guy who was supposed to get the job done. He's supposed to get all the outs and get them the victory that they needed. But the only trouble is he didn't. And in that moment in time, Cleveland got a double and then there was a two-run home run, and the game was tied. It's now the eighth inning, and the game is tied in the seventh game of the World Series. It's exciting. Even if you don't watch baseball like me, I was watching this game, and it was a nail-biter. At that moment, all the momentum was on Cleveland's side, and the Cubs fans were starting to have that sinking feeling of this is where the wheels come off, this is when the you know, bus implodes, this is why they say the curse is real, because we're never gonna win this thing. And they had that moment and all of a sudden the heavens opened and it started raining. I don't know how many of you remember this game, but it started raining and they had to pull the tarps out and all of a sudden managers, fans, players, everybody has to vacate the field and they have to await the 10th inning. There's a rain delay, tie game, seventh game of the World Series, rain delay, ugh, we have to wait for the 10th inning. Well, Cubs, of course, are having mounting discouragement, right? They're sitting in the dugout like, oh, this is it. This is why the curse is real, you know? And suddenly, the Cubs right fielder, his name is Jason Hayward, he came in, he called the team together, and he exhorted them, remember who you are. 
And he talked to them about the team that they were. And he talked to them about the season that they had had and how they had won two playoff series. And then in the third playoff series, the one that would take him to the World Series, they were back three games. And they fought all the way back to get a seventh game, which took him to the World Series. He said, this game is just as much for you to win as it is for you to lose. It's your game, win or lose. It's in your hands, basically. Well, after the rain delay, they went out energized. And the Cubs rallied, and they got a two-run lead by the next at-bat, at their next at-bat, two-run lead. Now, they could have sat out in that rain delay, and they could have had the inevitable thoughts of, this is it, we're done. They could have thrown in the towel, but they didn't. They focused on the right stuff. They focused on who they are. They focused on what they had accomplished that year. They focused on the people who were beside them in the dugout. And they went out and they won the first World Series in 108 years for the Chicago Cubs. Ladies, I wanna remind you of who's sitting around you. Who's on your team? I wanna remind you of the work that has already been done in your life. I wanna remind you of whose you are. And I know we need to leave here and we need to do some things. We need to thank God for saving us. We need to thank God for the life-changing gospel. We need to thank God for the people in this room. We need to get to work. We need to keep working. But while we sit here in the rain delay of life on earth while we're waiting for Christ to come back, we need to remember who we are. Because God shows us and God changed us. And when this is all said and done, we win this game. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you because I know that you're real and I know, I know that you've saved so many in this room. Lord, I pray that it's all. How wonderful, how amazing would that be if every person in this room had surrendered their life to you? And of course, that makes me think that those that haven't, if there are any, that even today they'd be compelled to think, I want those things to click together in my brain and I want to cry out to God, God, save me, pull me across the line. God, for those of us that are saved, I pray that we would pause and remember all throughout this week what an amazing gift we have of each other. And I do pray that we would work on life change as the Thessalonians did and think through these things. Maybe what could we do? What could we do in these areas? And I do pray, God, that we would most of all thank you for saving us. Even if that means every morning we thank you first. I, I know that's something I do in my prayer journal. I write, dear God, and it almost always comes out, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I get to have a conversation with you. Lord, thanks for choosing us. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for not leaving us here, but for continuing to work in our lives. May their groups go well. May they be sweet fellowship with one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.